0: Does your life change once a month because of your period? Oh, what a disaster. Let me tell it to you straight. Unexplainable can change the way you feel about your period. For the next two weeks, Unexplainable is doing a series on the scientific treasures hidden in periods.
1: You wouldn't think so, but it's wonderful.
0: Fabulous. I call it just plain smart. Remember, there's a feeling with Unexplainable. It can actually change the way you feel about your period. This week on Unexplainable, The Bleeding Edge. That's This Week on The Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. The United States military has a sexual assault problem. It's had one for a very long time. Maybe you've heard of Tailhook. There's a New York Times documentary about it. Old stereotypes about sex crazed sailors have come back to haunt the Navy.
2: Charges of sexual harassment by women who say they were manhandled at a gathering of Navy
0: flyers. It was called the worst case of sexual harassment in the Navy's history. More than 100 Top Gun pilots accused of conduct unbecoming officers and gentlemen. 30 years ago this year, the American public became aware of how bad things were for women in the armed forces.
2: This has been a difficult issue for the Navy because it told us some of our people were not upholding the standards of behavior we expect of them. Tailhook also brought to light the fact that we had an institutional problem in how we treated women. In that regard, it was a watershed event that has brought about cultural change. Everyone agreed something needed to be done. Such conduct and behavior are not acceptable for officers in our Navy, and I want to ensure that the American people and our officer corps understand the egregious conduct described in this report it is not now, never has been, and
0: never will be acceptable to Navy leadership. And now, 30 years later, things are just still really bad. In 2019, the number of reports on sexual assault in the military was up 3%, close to 8 thousand reported cases, something like 5% of those resulted in convictions. It's gotten so bad that veterans are discouraging young women from enlisting. But Congress is just about as close as it's ever been to doing something that could address it. Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand just unveiled a bill along with Republican Senator Joni Ernst, and they've got support from the president and even some of the top military brass. Before we get into the specifics of the solution, though, let's talk about the problem. And and part of the problem, believe it or not, is cake.
1: One of the other things that the military has tried to do with, you know, questionable results is raise the profile of this issue um, by doing things like during sexual assault awareness month, having cake cuttings to kick off the awareness month or cake cuttings cake cuttings or featuring um teal pancakes which is the the color of the sexual assault awareness in um in one particular base
0: wait sorry so they they do like fun baked food to to raise awareness of sexual assault
1: It is an odd uh, custom, but it's one that has taken place. And the leadership will say that uh, the point is to really inculcate awareness among the service members. But it does feel like an oddly celebratory practice when you're talking about such a serious phenomenon that continues to plague the military.
0: Missy Ryan writes about the military for The Washington Post. We set aside the cake to talk about what's really, really wrong with the military, how they prosecute sex crimes, compared to, say, the civilian world.
1: Well, the biggest difference between the civilian world and the military world is that the decisions around prosecution are made by the chain of command of any individual service member who makes an assault. And so you have, in effect, the boss of the person who is making an allegation deciding whether or not that case or that allegation is brought to trial in a military court whether it results in some sort of administrative punishment or whether it's dismissed entirely. And uh, advocates for change will say that that is a conflict of interest, potentially because the commander of the individual who makes the allegation could know the accused person. Uh, The commander could be involved in the case, uh, him or herself. And, uh, you know, it also raises the possibility of of reprisals. and, and, And that is something that really has deterred reporting in the past.
0: How much legal expertise does the average military commander have?
1: Fairly senior commander who's making this decision around prosecuting sexual assault. And they would have been in the military for a couple of decades and presumably would have dealt with all sorts of um, disciplinary problems within their units. But they're not lawyers usually, and they're not certainly not sexual assault specialist, they will have a command lawyer who works for them, who is advising them. But that person, again, is probably a generalist. And so that's why advocates are saying that there needs to be this specialized cohort of military lawyers who have greater expertise in assessing and bringing to trial sexual assault cases.
0: Do we have any idea how having military commanders essentially play judge and jury in these cases of sexual assault has affected the outcome of complaints of these cases?
1: You know, it's really hard to say on a broad basis, but anecdotally, you know, there will be people who say that they don't, that they decline to report because they're afraid that their careers will be impacted. You know, and there's a a small minority of sexual assault cases result in a conviction in the military, just like in the civilian world. You know, and there are people who will argue that one of the reasons the conviction rate is low in the military is that um, military lawyers will take sort of close cases to trial in a way that doesn't happen in the civilian world. Um, And so that results in, you know, a larger volume of trials and maybe a lower conviction rate. And it's really difficult to untangle that. But I think that the broader problem is that this continues to happen um, year after year, despite promises from senior leaders that the military is going to get this under control. And it really points to, in addition to some problems around reporting and prosecution, it, it points to a, a culture problem.
0: H- have senior leadership in the Department of Defense been open to changing this system of having people report to their commanding officers?
1: No, they have not. I mean, they will you know, talk a, a great length about the seriousness with which they take this problem and the different reform um, steps that they've taken to try to get it under control. But the question of um, command responsibility for any sort of disciplinary problem in the unit is um, sort of an article of faith among the military leadership. And the commanders, the uniform commanders will make the argument that It will be difficult for them to command and even could create problems that would be reflected in combat situations if they don't have, if they don't retain the authority to deal with all sorts of problems in their unit. Um, And they've made that case repeatedly before Congress, even the current chiefs, the military chiefs have all argued against this change. But I think the difference now is that after Me Too, and given the fact that this problem just has not gone away over decades, I think that they are probably going to feel constrained in speaking out against this problem. And of course, you have a Secretary of Defense who himself was a four-star general not so long ago, but I think, you know, is also responding to not just the change in American society, but also the fact that President Biden himself has advocated for this kind of change.
2: And we have to take on sexual assault and harassment and violence against women in the military. Sexual assault is abhorrent and wrong at any time. And in our military, so much of unicohesion is built on trusting your fellow service members to have your back. There's nothing less than a threat to our national security. Uh, I take this issue of sexual
1: assault very, very seriously. And I know that the service chiefs and the service secretaries do as well. And so the collection of the data uh, is a first step, but you can look for us to take additional steps uh, in in looking in detail at ourselves and, and what's worked, what hasn't worked, and what measures we need to take going forward to ensure that we provide for a safe and secure and productive environment for our teammates.
0: With the president and the secretary of defense on board, how are military commanders responding to this criticism that things just aren't getting better? We got to shake up the system.
1: They would say that there are other things that you need to try um, that, you know, better education, better awareness building um, and and other steps other than the change in the command responsibility.
0: (laughs) They just sort of sidestep the issue
1: you know, their belief is that the commander has to be responsible for all aspects of the of their subordinates behavior. And um, that, you know, they see as sort of a a crucial element of their ability to successfully operate as a unit that could be tested in combat. But yeah, the proposal that's on the table in the Senate is a, a fairly narrow one. And if it does come to pass, you know, they'll they'll adjust, and uh, we'll just have to see whether it makes a difference or not. I think that it could result in perhaps greater reporting of sexual assault and um, more successful referral to prosecution. We'll have to see. But this larger cultural problem is separate, I think. And it's something that require, will require, I think, years of sustained change and perhaps, you know, the link to you know, changes in American society.
0: And it's in the military's interest to make these changes, right? I mean, if the military is aiming to attract more women, to recruit more people, the less likely women are to get sexually assaulted, the better it is for the U.S. military, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, this, This, you know, could present a real recruitment and retention problem. You know, there are s- surveys that show that, mil- that women are more likely to leave the military earlier than men. And one of the things that they cite repeatedly is the problems of sexual harassment and assault.
2: My name is Caroline Fouts. I serve in the active duty army. I've been in the army for 18 years now. I started my career when I was 17 years old. When I was in high school, 9-11 happened, and living on Long Island, it had a really big impact on my life, and that's why I wanted to serve my country. When I was sexually assaulted, I had just arrived in Korea, and I was assaulted by my physician's assistant, who is also a uniformed service member? It took me a while to realize that it wasn't just uncomfortable; it was wrong because uh, we, you know, I trusted this medical provider, I trusted a fellow uh, fellow soldier, I trusted this military officer, and so when things first started becoming peculiar about the exam and he had spent an exorbitant amount of time around my breasts, I started questioning uh, myself and my judgment far before I started questioning him and his ethics or his motives. That was a pivotal point in not just my life, but in my career. There's nothing in the world, I think, that could have prepared me for the stress the stress and the assassination of character that you experience when you go to trial it became very challenging to do my job this picture of my life was just taken dropped and completely shattered and all the pieces were still there but there was no there's no way to pick them all back up and put them back together the way that they were
0: All right, we're back. The military has this long-standing sexual assault problem. Part of the problem is how assaults are reported. Commanding officers have a lot of power in the equation. There's a plan in the Senate to change that. And one of its authors is Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York. Senator, how long you've been trying to do something about this?
3: Well, it really started for me around 2012. Um, I was on the Armed Services Committee and uh, people across my state started to approach me about this issue of sexual assault in the military. And I didn't know much about it, and I didn't I didn't really know where to start, but it really came to fruition when a colleague uh, handed me a film called The Invisible War and said, please watch this. About half a million women have now been sexually assaulted in the U.S. military.
2: Civilians see it as being a military problem. Anybody can be a victim of sexual assault.
1: uh repetitive criminals.
2: Why would they stop? The Department of Defense has a history of covering up sexual offense problems. I don't know who you think elected you to defy the Congress of the United States. What is it you're trying to hide?
3: Uh, I then had an opportunity to choose my subcommittee, and I immediately chose the personnel subcommittee so I could start holding hearings. And we started holding hearings in 2013 on this very topic. And Uh, it really did begin to bring to light this scourge that's been plaguing the military forever. And uh, we started to um, figure out what types of reforms could make a difference. And we've been on that journey now for the past eight years.
0: Why has this been such a tough nut to crack in Congress?
3: So the military has fought us every step of the way. Uh, The DOD does not like change. They prefer the status quo. And even in the face of on average, 20,000 estimated sexual assaults a year and a relatively low conviction rate, Uh, they still were unwilling to change how they dealt with these cases. Uh, A lot of the survivor community and the legal community all created a consensus around one reform, which was We need to professionalize how the military deals with these cases. Today, a commander gets to decide who the judge is, the jury, the prosecutor, the defense, and whether or not a case has enough evidence to go to trial. That one decision point, we believe, uh, unfortunately, is biased, oftentimes, and uninformed. Uh, Commanders aren't lawyers. Uh, The JAGs that assist them are not um, specialized in criminal justice. And so we believe that if you professionalize that one decision and gave it to trained military prosecutors, they would look at evidence differently, they have no bias, they don't favor the accused or the accuser over the other, and they will just, based on the evidence, make a decision. And that decision, we believe, will be a better decision and will result in more cases ultimately going to trial and more cases ending in conviction. And if you want to change the culture in the military, start convicting rapists and show that it is a crime that truly is not tolerated.
0: What you're proposing here doesn't sound like a radical change for anyone who works in, you know, a professional setting that has an HR department. It's not your boss who figures out, you know, what disciplinary measures might take place. It's someone who's, you know, a trained professional when it comes to dealing with with personnel. How has the military been responding to this idea of having these sort of special prosecutors put in place?
3: So up until now, they've really resisted it. Uh, they wanted to maintain all control over these cases. But the truth is, they just weren't very good at it. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, when it was he said, she said, there was clear bias. And oftentimes, the accused is more senior, more valuable to the unit, more decorated, uh, and and more uh, important to the command and to winning wars. Interestingly, uh, the tide is changing this week. Um Uh, General Milley, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has come out to say he is now open to this idea of taking decision-making out of the chain of command and giving it to trained military prosecutors. Just last week, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Mullen, came out with the same statement. And and what Admiral Mullen said and what General Milley said was they've been against this for a long time. They've been unwilling to do this, but in light of the fact that nothing has changed after a decade of small ball, low hanging fruit reforms, which are the ones the Department of Defense was willing to allow, um, it's not changed. And so they are now willing to to listen to the legal experts and the survivor community that has been advocating for this for the last decade.
0: So that means you've got the president of the United States, the defense secretary and Milley on, on, on your side now. Why do you think the momentum is shifting in this moment. Is it because there's a new president who who wants to shake things up?
3: Uh, It's a combination. Um, First, uh, we have a president who ran on this issue. Joe Biden said on the campaign trail that he would take it out of the chain of command. Uh, And so he asked General Austin to do a 90-day commission to make recommendations. The recommendations of that committee did leak, uh, and they are recommending taking it out of the chain of command. Second, um, we've had a growing um, coalition that has continued to grow over the last 10 years. And one person we just added to that coalition is Joni Ernst, uh, who is not only a uh, veteran, uh, she's a former commander, and she's also a sexual assault survivor, and she's a Republican. And so to have the only former um, combat uh, veteran who's a female from the Republican Party in the Senate to come out in favor of this reform after she herself has really struggled with this issue for the last six years also uh, created more momentum. And the the third thing that has changed is that uh, there was a recent report out by the Department of Defense about Fort Hood and a young woman named Vanessa Guillen uh, was murdered we believe, by her harasser.
2: And the family of Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen is reacting to a new report on the investigation into her sexual harassment at Fort Hood. In an ABC News exclusive, her family says justice has still not been served and that this report just adds insult to injury, confirming that leaders failed to protect Vanessa.
3: Um, She had reported a harassment, but uh, this report from Fort Hood found that the command climate was so toxic that it was permissive for sexual assault and sexual harassment. Um, and so now in black and white from the DOD itself, we have more evidence of the toxic culture that permits harassment and assault to run rampant.
0: So with the president, the secretary of defense, the chairman, of the joint chief of staff on your side and Republican support, at least some Republican support, what is the timeline for seeing this legislation through?
3: If we um, are able to write this legislation into the national defense bill, uh, then the entire Congress will be able to vote on that um, by, by summer, really. Um, usually it's either right before August or right after August. Um, if, if we do not put it in the defense bill, then we'll just have an up or down vote. And we already have over 60 supporters for this bill now. Um, And it's widely bipartisan, and and it always has been, interestingly. Um, There's very few bills in Congress that have the support of Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, uh, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and Bernie Sanders and Liz Warren. So it's been widely bipartisan from the beginning over the last eight years. But this momentum that's growing are from people who have been weighing this carefully over the last several years, including Republicans and and Democrats who wanted to see if some of the earlier, simpler reforms would work. They've now concluded it; it ha- they haven't worked. And so we need far more structural reform.
0: And as we know from the civilian justice system, that still might not do the trick, right? What are the next steps if these reforms, once passed, still don't work?
3: If this doesn't work, we'll just keep reforming and keep getting it right. We also, in this bill, are going to increase a lot of prevention. So we want everyone trained uh, to understand what sexual violence, sexual assault, and sexual harassment is, including commanders. So we're going to require commander training and not just online with an iPad going through a slideshow. There's going to be in-person training. We're also going to increase security um, and other measures that I think will help prevent the crimes as well. You
0: mentioned that this issue was first introduced to you early on in your... Career in the Senate when someone basically told you that this was something that needed addressing. What do you hear from military personnel now? Not the chairman of the of the of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, but but regular military personnel who want something to change.
3: It's still a huge issue, and uh, what we find is that younger women um, and men are traditionally the targets of these predators. Um, Unfortunately, lower-level commanders um, in some units, in some services, are responsible for setting a climate that, unfortunately, has been hostile towards women uh, and has permitted sexual harassment to thrive. Uh, We've also seen lack of accountability in online predatory behavior, Um, taking photos of women without their consent and posting them online. We had the scandal, the Marines United scandal. Um, It's a problem. And so we have to begin to, I believe, um, teach, particularly in the service academies and in our colleges, um, what respect is, um, what consent is, uh, and create a a baseline for people to understand that particularly our military can only be strong when there's mutual respect for all service members. And when we build that, we will have a stronger, a more ready uh, and a more disciplined force.
0: Senator, thank you so much for your time
3: Thank you, take care Senator
0: Kirsten Gillibrand She serves on the Armed Services Committee and represents the state of New York I'm Sean Ramos for him. This is Today Explained